And God's people said, in fact, a baby does change everything. We want to welcome you this morning to week two of a series that we've entitled Christmas, His Story. And we're looking at a historical perspective of how God's plan for Christmas has played out through the ages. And last week we began in Genesis chapter 3. And and we saw a world that was totally perfect. And then Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And in that rebellion, their world broke. And everything literally that we so hurts in our world, so much that we dislike in our world, the sickness, the pain, the sorrow, all came to be in a moment of time in the garden when Adam and Eve said no to God and yes to sin. Our world broke. But more importantly than that, their relationship with God broke. Their fellowship with God broke. Of that time, they walked together with God in perfect harmony. But when sin came into the world, a huge gap developed. And God could have walked away. God could have said, no, that's that's it. He, He could have said, I'll leave you in your sin. He could have simply just killed them and perhaps created two more. But he didn't walk away. Instead, he gave a promise. Talking to Satan that day, he said, the woman will have a child. And that child is going to bruise, crush your head. And you will bruise his heel. And he was talking about a day when Jesus Christ would come and be nailed to a cross for the sins of mankind. They would lay him in a grave. But it was only a bruise because on the third day he arose again. Amen? But ultimately Satan's head will be crushed because the book of Revelation tells a story that there's coming a time where Satan will be bound and all evil will be bound and cast in the lake of fire. Forever and forever. This week, we want to move forward. We, we want to look at something that's quite interesting. Ha, have you ever noticed before how that, that when sin came into the world, it, it seems that, and we saw the garden with the fig leaf thing, how that man has felt obligated somehow to try to reach up to God. That, that somehow we had to become good enough So God would accept us. Every religion, with the exception of Christianity, every religion besides the Jesus movement adopts this. In fact, Muhammad, when he wrote the Quran, put in there the teaching literally of a giant scale. And if a person's good works outweigh his bad, then Allah may choose to allow that person to go to paradise. And of course, if it's the other way, then he would be eternally condemned in a lake of fire. The crazy part is, we somehow see a bleeding over of this this thought, even in Christianity. So many people somehow have it twisted in their brain that if they just keep the rules, that God will somehow love them more. And friend, I want to tell you something. There is nothing that you can do to cause God to love you more or less. He loves you totally and perfectly. So, today, I want to ask a question. What if that really wasn't true? Not that God could love you more or less. But what if there really wasn't a giant scale? What if it wasn't our job to try to reach up somehow to Almighty God and become good enough so that somehow He could 
accept us? What if God had a totally different, fanatically radical plan for Christmas? And I'm here to tell you that he does. We want to fast forward from the garden to 1600 B.C. We, we want to see how God's plan is going to play out at that time. Now, the scene, and you want to go take your Bibles, please, and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. The scene is this. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he is receiving God's law. He's up on the mountain, and the valley is filled around the mountain with all these people called Israelites. And he is about to hear God speak what God's law is all about. And here's, here's the deal. To really understand, you've got to get the whole picture. To really appreciate what's about to take place, you've got to get the history. And, and this is just real brief, of course. I'm going to get a few high spots. We've already talked about Adam and Eve, and they ultimately sinned, and the world just spiraled downward. And, and we are, of course, totally depraved. There's just no spiritual good in us at all. And the world became more wicked and more wicked until finally God looked down and just didn't see anything. And so he finally decided that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. But he saw one man named Noah. It wasn't that Noah was particularly good as much as it simply says this. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he calls Noah to build an ark. And you know the story. And the flood came. And, ark and, his, and Moses and his, or Moses, Noah and his family was in the ark. And after such a long time, dry ground appeared, and it was Moses' job to repopulate the earth. It didn't get much better. Eventually, a guy named Abram was around, and y'all might have heard his name, and God called him, I want you to leave everything that you know. I want you to leave that, and I want you to come and follow me. And, and he did. And eventually, Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son, and his name was Jacob. And Jacob didn't mess around. He had 12 sons. And, and through a, a great story, which we don't have time to tell, those 12 sons and their families eventually end up in a place called Egypt. And they were there as free men and women. And God prospered them there and blessed them. And they multiplied and they multiplied until finally the Egyptians started to fear them. And so they put them into slavery. And for 400 years, they lived in slavery. All this group of people knew was slavery. For 400 years, they basically didn't hear from God. The, the thought of the God of Ab Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob was a far distant memory. And God didn't speak. And then finally one day, God speaks to a guy named Moses. And, and Moses hears God and goes to see, and God delivers the nation of Israel. And now they're at this mountain, and, and here they are. And Moses is up there waiting to hear what God's going to say, what his law is going to be. To his people. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 20. Here's what the Bible says. And God, and by the way, does that word ring a bell yet? Elohim, the supreme God, the supreme God spoke all these words. Remember, the hand spoke for 400 years virtually. And here's what he says 
I am the Lord your God who, and, and I can imagine my mind, Moses saying, time out. Don't, don't you mean that you are the Lord a God? And, and God say, no, no. Well, maybe you mean that, that you, are, you are the Lord the God. No, no, no. I am the Lord your God. Now, I can imagine Moses saying, but you know, that, that implies relationship. That implies something personal. And God says, that's it exactly. So, so that's it? You're the Lord our God we're in? And God said, well, not, not exactly. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And instantly Moses begins to have this flashback. Instantly all these memories, very recent memories, come into Moses' mind. He remembers when God called him and said, I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And after haggling with God and getting Aaron involved, finally Moses goes. And Moses walks up to Pharaoh and says, Listen, I know you think you're God, but I hear wrestling the real true God. And the real true God says, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? No. I'm not going to let the people go. And so God begins to make a mockery of the entire deity system of Egypt. The Egyptians worship the Nile. So what does God do? He turns the Nile to blood. God says, oh, you like flies? You worship the flies? Then I'll give you flies. And he floods the land with flies. God says, you like frogs? You worship frogs? Then I'll give you frogs. You worship the sun? I'll give you sun. And he blots out the sun. And each time God, Moses would go back, God says, let my people go. And Moses said, no, no, no. And finally God says, enough. I am going to strike the firstborn of all the people. And the animals in Egypt. Now look with me please at verse. Now Exodus chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4. Flip back. As he has this flashback. God hasn't spoken really for 400 years. And this of course happens before chapter 20. And here's what God says. As he speaks. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron. Now, write, underline this if you're taking notes or on your sermon sheet. He spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Underline that. That's going to be important in a few minutes. He says this. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God says, what I'm, now listen, stay with me now, what I'm about to do is so significant, it is so important, it is going to be a new beginning of your calendar year. You're going to build your calendar around the event that's fixing to take place. And here's what he said. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this new month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for the household. And if the household is, is too small for a lamb, then he shall get his nearest neighbor, and they shall take this lamb according to the persons, according to what each can eat, 
You shall make your count for the lamb. So God says each family is to get a lamb. And if the family's too small for a lamb, then they're to get a neighbor with them. And however much it takes to consume this lamb, they're to bring that group of people together as they have this meal. Isn't it ironic that when God finally speaks after 400 years, he talks about having a dinner? How ironic is that? Look at verse number 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, in the prime of life. Let me just pause here. There is so much symbolism here. And what I want to do tonight, we don't have time today. I want to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. And I want to just talk about the similarities and the parallels that we see between this situation and what's going to happen 1,600 years later. I hope you'll come back tonight at 6 o'clock and see those similarities. We don't have time to talk about them today. Because you shall take a lamb without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, it doesn't matter. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Four days you shall watch this lamb. Make sure it's without blemish. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now, up, listen, this is normal, okay? This is not like, to us, killing a lamb is like really gross. But to them, it's like everyday life. Up to now, nothing really is unusual. You're going to take a lamb. You're going to get a perfect lamb. Get your best out. You're going to take that lamb. You're going to keep it for four days. That would not be totally unusual. And then at the twilight on the 14th day, you're going to slit that lamb's throat. And you're going to kill that lamb. Up to then, that was life in Egypt. Normal. But then in verse number 7, he says something. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, which is the top of the doorpost, the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And about now, the nation of Israel is going to say, and I'm sure Moses is going, huh? This is something different. Wait a minute. Okay, we understand killing lambs and eating lambs. We understand that. We understand we shouldn't be wasteful because, hey, we're slaves. Money's tight. We understand that we shouldn't let anything go to waste. We got that. What's up with the blood on the door? And you know what God would reply? Trust me. Just trust me. And then he moves on. And verses number 8 through 10, he gives the rules for the meal. Here's what he said. Now remember, God hadn't spoken in 400 years. And he talked about how they're going to eat their dinner. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its leg and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning Anything that remains until the morning shall be burned. But well, wait a minute, God. You haven't talked in 400 years, and, and now you're telling us, first off, we have put blood on our door, and then, God, you're telling us there's a certain way we've got to eat this meal? Isn't there something more important you want to say? And you know what God says? Trust me. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. And then he goes on and says this, verse 11. He tells them how to dress for dinner. In this manner you shall eat it. 
with your belt fashioned, your sandals, your shoes on, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God, who hasn't spoken for years, says, first off, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to put blood on your door. Here's how I want you to eat the meal. Exactly, I'm going to give you specific instructions for that. And I want to tell you how to dress for the dinner party. I want you to be sure and put your belt on. Put your shoes on and get your traveling staff. Of which the nation of Israel probably would reply if they were standing there with Moses there and say, Time out. Sounds like we're going somewhere. Have you not heard that Pharaoh has said no? Have you not heard, God, that we are slaves and we're not free to come or go? And you know what God said? Just trust me. Just trust me. That's all. And then we get down to verse number 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. On the 14th day, after the lamb has been slain, after the blood has been placed on the lintel and on the doorpost, I am going to pass through Egypt that night. Now listen carefully. And I will strike all the firstborn. Where? In the land of Egypt. Is Pharaoh in the land of Egypt? Say, yes, pastor. Is, are all the people of Egypt, the Egyptians, are they in the land of Egypt? Who else is in the land of Egypt? The Israelites. Now, I don't know how sharp they were, but they had seen God turn the Nile to blood. They had seen flies multiplied, frogs multiplied. They had seen the sun blotted out. And I bet they figured out that when God said something, He could pretty well do it. And I bet they were sharp enough to put six and four together and get ten. And they said, it sounds to me like our firstborn are going to die. Pharaoh's firstborn's going to die. The Egyptians' firstborn's going to die. And it sounds to me like our firstborn's going to die. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I love this. Here's that dominance again. This is that supreme God thing again. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I'm not just a God. I'm just not the God. I am Elohim. I am the supreme God. And Egypt thinks it's the mightiest nation in the world. And I am going to strike judgment on their gods. Why? Because I am the Lord. Say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Woo! Now again, they're probably going, Woo, this doesn't sound good for us. But then, what you've been waiting on. Then you're saying, why the history lesson, Dwayne? Why, why the attention to detail, Dwayne? Because what comes up in verse number 13. Here's what he says. The blood that you put on the doorpost and on the lintel, The blood shall be a sign for you. And on the houses where you are. It it shall be a marker for you. As you dwell in that house that night. And here's what he says. And when I see the blood. Say when I see the blood. When I see the blood. 
I will pass over you. And no plague, say no plague, no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God says, trust me. Believe me. When I had you put that blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, it is for a reason. It's a sign for you. It's a marker for you. What does it mark, Dwayne? What is a sign of? It's a sign that, hey, God, we believe you. And when God saw the blood and saw that it said, we believe in you, the death angel passed over that house. Now flash back to 12 with me. I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I want to be your God. I want to be like the number one God. I don't want any other gods in the picture. I want to be your Uno. And the reason I could say God saying to them... That I am the Lord your God is because one night I said to you, trust me. And you did. See, God doesn't want to be our rule-keeping God. God doesn't want to be our giant scale God. God doesn't want to say, go to church 52 times a year and you're in God. He says, I want to be your rescuer. I want to be your savior. I want to be your deliverer. I want to be your redeemer. And the way that's going to happen is by faith. That's what's so great about those folks in Africa. They don't have to give thousands of dollars to the church. God says, simply believe me and you're in. And you're in. Remember that Abraham guy? You know the Bible says about him? God shows up to Abraham and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave behind your family. I want you to leave behind all the stuff that you had. I'm going to take you to a new country and I've got these incredible promises for you. And Abraham did that. Here's what it says. Abraham believed God. And it was counted as righteousness for him. It was counted as a right standing before God for him. Listen, friends. You will never gain a right standing with God by keeping rules. Come on now. You will never gain a right standing with God by keeping rules, by going to church, by being baptized, by giving money, by doing something like that. But you can gain a right standing with God by putting your faith and your trust in Him. Here's what's really cool. Moses was told in the next verse that follows there in in chapter 20, he said, now listen, we're going to do this Passover thing, and boy, can we jump on this. 
We're going to do this Passover thing how many times? Once. How many times are you saved? <laughs> See, I had to throw it once. But here's what I want you to do. Every year, I want you to celebrate it. You don't have to kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. But every year as a people, I want you to remember the Passover. I want you to remember the night that you put the blood on the doorpost. You believed me. You trusted me. You became in. And I want you to remember that it was by keeping rules. It wasn't by works. It's by grace and faith. I want you to remember. Can you fast forward with me? Can you go forward 1,600 years? It wasn't December 25th. Most likely, most theologians agree, it was probably in the spring, early summer. And nine months before that night, an angel appeared to a virgin and said, you found favor with God. And God has chosen you to be the mother of that seed prophesied prophesied in Genesis 3. And on that night, early spring, late summer, where it was, a spouse to a man named Joseph, who, as you heard in the song, had never touched each other. She was pregnant by a mighty act of God. And that night, Mary had a little lamb. pastor said, Mary had a little lamb. Emmanuel, God with us. Fast forward 30 more years. Jesus begins his public ministry. His cousin John the Baptist is baptizing people. He sees Jesus coming. And Charlie, he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Can you fast forward three more years? Jesus is winding up his public ministry. It's Thursday night before he dies on Friday. He's gathered in an upper room. He's got the boys there. And guess what they're celebrating? The Passover. But this night was going to be different. As Jesus looked those men in the eye, he said, Guys, I know for 1,633 years when we've done this, every night we've done it, every year we've done this, the blood represented the blood of that lamb that they put on the doorpost when God passed over and said, you're in because you believe in me. Jesus said, not tonight. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood, which is shed for you. Tomorrow I'm going to die. 
And my blood's going to be shed. And that's going to be the ultimate sacrifice where, where the skins that they wore in Genesis 3 look forward. Where every time the nation of Israel celebrated the Passover, they look forward. The waiting is over. I will be the Lamb of God without sin and without blemish and in the prime of my life. And I will lay my life down and shed my blood for the sins, not of Israel, but of the whole world. Is that not incredible? And you know, Remember that unleavened bread, guys, for 1,633 years has represented the unleavened bread they ate because they were fixing to leave. There's no time for it to rise, and so that was the significance of the unleavened bread. Not anymore. It represents my broken body. Because I'm going to take your place on the cross. And my body is going to be broken for you. And in generations to come, when the church is established, I want you to remember these things. And every time you come together to celebrate this occasion, I want you to remember something. That that cup represents the blood that was spilt so you could have forgiveness of sin. And that bread represents a broken body that your body didn't have to be broken because he took our place on the cross. And we're in today if we believe by faith in the Son of God. I don't know if there were any Israelites that year in 1600 B.C. who said, no, that's a little flaky for me. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. They died that night. The death angel would have taken them out. And tonight, today, there's one way to heaven. And it's not the Baptist way. It's not the church way. It's not the works way. It's not the baptism way. It is faith. And grace and the spilt Lamb of God, the broken Lamb of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourself, is the gift of God. Can you finish it with me? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Friend, if you're here today and you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, I hope you're impressed that beyond the 1600 B.C., beyond that, God made a promise that you could have relationship with Him, that you could have fellowship with Him. And at 1600 B.C., as He instructed the Israelites in this very unusual way to put the blood, He would pass over. He was painting a picture of Christmas that would come. A day when the little lamb would grow to be the lamb of God and would lay his life down so that you could have forgiveness of sins. It's not about good and it's not about bad. It's, it's not about Baptist or Catholic or Methodist. It's not about any of that. 
It's about are you willing today to trust God? If you could just listen real carefully to your heart, you might hear a still, small voice whispering these words. Trust me. Trust me. You're searching. You're looking. Trust me. Would you bow your heads, please? You're in a crowd of probably 310 or 15 today, maybe 20. There's a really good possibility that there's some folks here today who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe some of you are like me. I joined the church, but I missed Jesus somehow. And it became a really hard road because I tried to keep the rules and I wasn't very good at that. And then one day I met Jesus. One day I heard God say, trust me. And I did. And incredibly, He forgave all my sins, all my hypocrisies and all that stuff. He forgave me. And He wants to do the same for you today. This morning, if you're willing to, when you hear the whisper of God in your heart saying, trust me, maybe all the response you need is to say, God, I will. Understanding that that trust means believing that Jesus was the Son of God. That He was born of a virgin and lived a perfectly sinless life. At age 33, He laid His life down on a Roman cross and shed His blood. They put Him in a grave. And believing on the third day, He became alive again and lives today. And he's calling, that trust involves him calling you to a commitment, a new life. Remember, this shall be a new beginning for you. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and make that commitment, it's a new beginning of life. The Bible describes it as being born again in John chapter 3. If you're willing to, he'd be willing to, if you'll trust him. Last week I asked this question. I'd like to ask it again. And I promise you no one should be looking around. This is between me and you and God. But my heart's burdened today. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment or you have doubts, serious doubts about that commitment and I will not come to you, I will no way, no wise call attention to you, I just want to pray for you today. But if you're here today and you've never made that commitment or you, you have serious doubts about the commitment you've made, would you be able to raise your hand today with no one looking and say, Brother, would you just pray for me today? Amen. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Others? God bless you. Thank you for the hand. Anyone else? Amen. Can I pray for us? Father, in Jesus' name we come. I'm just so impressed with how your plan was played out. How much you must love us to go through this much planning. Father, a lot of us have trusted Jesus, but several raised their hands. They said, I just don't know. Or maybe I, I'm sure I don't know. Father, we want to give them a chance.
to receive the greatest gift ever. And that's the forgiveness of their sins and new life with you. Would you please speak to their hearts? Whatever courage may be required, I pray you'll give them that courage to one, trust you, and maybe be willing to even share that they've made that decision. Now, as your head bowed and your eyes closed, and Brother Brent standing down front, as Brother David and the band begins to play softly, I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly hard, and still no one's looking. If today you placed your trust in Jesus, or you want to know more about that, or maybe you want somebody to pray with you because you have doubts about that, I want to give you the opportunity to stand where you are and come down front, take Brent by the hand, and say, Look, I've got questions, and I know this is way important. Can somebody pray with me? Can someone show me more from God's Word? about how I can trust Jesus. I'm asking you to do it right now. Would you come? Would you come? No one's looking. Just God and me. Amen. Amen. Someone else? Someone else? Join, I'm so impressed today that God made this incredible plan and sent His Son Jesus to die for me. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. Dwayne, can I trust Jesus right where I am? You bet you can. And I'm not sure even a prayer is required as much as you whispering to God, God, I trust you. The way Brother Dwayne described that trust, I do that today. But you need to tell somebody. Maybe after service, grab someone and say, Hey, I trusted Jesus today. Because we want to celebrate with you. Because it's a new beginning for you today. And that's worth celebrating. Amen? That's worth celebrating. Now, maybe you're here today. And you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is like so awesome. But maybe somewhere over the years since you trusted Him, maybe you kind of drifted away and it's not as close and as meaningful as it used to be. That's so common today. And maybe as you heard God's plan for mankind and for salvation through this story today, you realize that, God, I want to be like it was the first day. I want to be like it was the second day. I'm going to ask you if you just raise your hand right there. Dwayne, that's me. I just want to pray for you. Anyone, Dwayne? Dwayne, I want to be like the first day again. I want the passion there like it used to be. Amen. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes, amen. God bless you. Others, yes, God bless you. Other, others, Dwayne, I want it like the first day. I want my passion, my fire burning for this God who loved me so much. He sent His Son, Jesus. Yes, amen. God bless you. Oh, can I pray again? Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, particularly those who raised their hand. Father, it's so easy for the fire to grow dim, for the passion to wane. This crazy, busy world we live in that demands so much of us, we often forget just how incredible you are. 
So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, and for myself. That our passion would burn brightly. That our whole desire would live wholly for you. Totally blown away by this incredible gift called forgiveness. Father, we saw it modeled in the video today. These three young men who have given a chunk of their life to go tell others about Jesus. Let our flame burn as their flame burns. Father, the need isn't only in Africa. It's across the street. It's across town. It may be across the aisle. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Let our light so shine in this world that others may see you as we live out our life this day. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.